You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Episode number 28 of that one time on tour is brought to you by Sticker Wolf. Sticker Wolf, they do stickers for a living. Orlando, Florida-based Sticker Wolf prints full color and uses a heavyweight vinyl that sticks to nearly every surface imaginable. They also laminate with a 5 to 7 year UV over laminate for the best protection available. Thicker, longer lasting, more durable, and more affordable than the competition. Make sure to check out StickerWolf.com. Hey, this is Randy from Pennywise and you are listening to That One Time On Tour. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hello and welcome to episode number 28 of That One Time On Tour. As always, I'm your host, Chris Swinney, back with another stellar conversation with someone in or around the music industry. If you cannot tell, I'm a little under the weather. I have quite the cold right now. So I'm going to get through this intro. I'm wheezing and everything all over the microphone. So, uh, But yeah, last week was amazing. Uh, the episode with Eddie from Thrice blew up. We hit number 85 on the iTunes charts and the podcast as a whole hit number 126. So thank you guys so much for the support. This week, I get to talk to Randy Bradbury, bass player for Pennywise. Pennywise is one of my favorite bands of all time. I've been listening to him since high school, so I geeked out a little bit and fanboyed out with, with Randy. But you're going to have to wait to hear that, because I have to tell you about some really cool sponsors to the show. Now first, I'm going to tell you about a sponsor from last week's show, actually, that I wanted to really drive home because I really enjoy what this guy does. My buddy Marco has this podcast called Zealous Musician, and it's basically a dissection of a band's songs or music per episode. They do light music theory. They talk about everything that goes into the band. It's it's like a real obsession, like geek out kind of thing over a band. And they've done Thrice and Taking Back Sunday and Copeland. But go to zealousmusician.com or go wherever you get your podcasts and search for Zealous Musician. You're going to love it. It's a great podcast. I can't get enough of it. So shout out to Marco and check it out, guys. So also, we've got Merge 4. Merge 4 is a company that that makes something really cool. They make socks. Uh, they have collaborations with artists. They have collaborations with s- professional skateboarders and musicians and all kinds of stuff. I'm wearing my Sublime socks right now. I have Circle Jerk socks. I have Wee Man socks. I have all kinds of cool stuff that they sent me. They sent me a little grab bag. So make sure to check out Merge 4. You can go 
go to merge4.com or just search merge4 on any of the social media platforms. Uh, rockabilly.com. I love this company. Uh, 500,000 unique items officially licensed by the band. They have everything you need for October. They've got costumes. They have like Eddie masks from Iron Maiden. They have every spooky band shirt that you could ever imagine. They've got AFI. They've got Bajas. Danzig, Misfits, anything that you want, they've got it. So go to rockabilia.com, put in the promo code PCTOTOT at checkout, and you're going to save 15%. And uh, tell them that Chris sent you over there. They're great people. Frankie, shout out to you, man. Thanks a lot. Um, That's really all the business. I do have some personal stuff I want to get out of the way. You guys need to go see my old bandmates, the Ataris. They're on tour starting Thursday in Minneapolis, and they're doing... Uh, so Long Astoria, the, the big record. They're playing the whole thing, and I'm sure they're doing other stuff as well. But it's kind of like the anniversary of that record. You know, I think it's 20, not 20, 15 years, 15 years. I'm stupid. I'm tired and I don't feel well. So yeah, go see the Ataris. Uh, you can check them out on Facebook or anywhere else. All the tour dates are posted. I just know that it starts Thursday in Minneapolis. So check them out on the road. Shout out to Chris and all the guys in the Ataris. Chris with a K. I'm Chris with a C. Uh, and that's it. I'm going to, this has been a really long, ramble, but I'm kind of, I'm on NyQuil and I'm not feeling that great. So I'm going to give you guys all everything. I'm not even going to edit this. It's just going to be really bad. So I hope you guys are following us on all of the social media platforms. It's TOTOT podcast. If you want to be a sponsor or get in touch with me for some reason, it's TOTOT podcast at gmail.com. Please give me a call on the TOTOT hotline. It is 1-765-372- 8818. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, and that's it. I am going to go into a coffin fit if I don't tell you guys to get into this conversation right now, so here we go. Uh, this is me and Randy Bradbury from Pennywise, uh, and here it is, my conversation. Thanks a lot, guys. I am delirious. Okay, so I'm on the line with Randy from Pennywise. How you doing today, Randy? I'm good. How you doing, Chris? Thanks for asking me to be on. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on, man. It's uh it's a big honor for me. I've been a big fan of Pennywise for most of my life, actually. I got into you guys right at the my freshman year in high school. Awesome. When was that? Um, <laughs> I graduated in 97, so let's see, uh, I guess 93? Okay. 93, yeah. I think, is when no, I first that got was in. Right. Yeah, that was the ten. That was uh, Unknown right Road, I think, was the first record I got. Yeah, that was the one. That was the first one I played on too. So, oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I tell my friends this all the time, and I've actually talked about it on the podcast. When I was young, you know, I grew up in Indiana, so we got things a little bit later than everybody else. The way that I found out about bands was through my bands I liked, the T-shirts they wore, and I remember seeing an Offspring video. Then uh, I think it was Noodles or Dexter was wearing a Pennywise shirt, so I went out the next day and bought that record. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, back before the internet, you had, you had to rely on things like that. You know, I would, uh, I got into bands because, uh, bands I liked would do a cover of them or mention them in an, in an interview that you'd find in a fanzine or something. So yeah, you had to be kind of, uh, you had to, use, you had to be kind of crafty to figure out what bands, uh, to, that you might like. I mean, that's how I got into the misfits. I've told the story a million times on the podcast, but you know, Cliff Burton from Metallica had a misfit shirt on it. So I went out and bought that record. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's how it works. I mean, I, I got turned on to, uh, the MC five because the damned did, uh, 
did looking at you they did you know did, did uh, mc5 covers and on li- on a live album captain sensible's uh, ranting about how, how great the mc5 were so yeah it was just things like that it was really um it was kind of more natural it was, it was something cool about having to do, really do a lot of research and be dedicated in order to find cool music you know you yeah. were it was like special it was your secret and, and it really felt like you kind of owned it a little bit nowadays I mean, I can't really talk about it nowadays, but I just, what I what I know, I could. There's so many bands that are so accessible and so easy to check out on the internet that I can't even do it. I, I don't even know where to start. You know, I think people take it for granted a little bit too, because you know, like you were saying, when it was a little bit more special and you had to seek things out, and they they became your little secret. Nowadays, yeah. it's so at your fingertips, no one really cares. I don't think. Right. Right. Yeah. So what I want to do, this is a, a podcast uh, about touring and everything else that goes into being in a band, but I would like to, you probably don't remember me. We only talked a couple of times in person, but back in 2004, when you guys were doing your Canadian tour, I was uh, touring with a band called The Reason. We were opening up and uh, Agnostic, not Agnostic Front, uh, Murphy's Law was on the tour. Okay. And uh, Jason from 98 Mute actually played for Fletcher because he didn't make it across the border. Do you remember that? Right. Did he? Well, I remember. See, uh, God, it's so. I have selective. Like, my memory is like Swiss cheese. I remember something so great, and then, then there's uh, holes all over the place. But I, I know Jason filled in uh, when we went to Europe. And then when, you, when, uh, when, you, when we were going back and forth on the text, I was uh, trying to man jog my memory about being up in Canada with Jason. And I just, I don't, I can't remember it. (laughs) It was a very short tour. Like I think you guys were only playing like a few shows in Ontario and maybe a few few shows in Alberta and Alberta. And uh, I was with this Canadian band at the time. And uh, I think maybe big wig may have played a couple of the shows as well. Cause we, we were touring with big wig. And I just remember the first day that we got to the tour, I think it was somewhere in Toronto, maybe the opera house or somewhere The Fletcher wasn't there. And Jason was there. And you guys had told me the story that I guess he had a prior like marijuana thing or something on his record. So he didn't make it across. Fletcher had uh, Fletcher. Everything, uh, everything crazy involves Fletcher some way. I don't think there would be a a marijuana thing okay. necessarily, but there would have probably been about thirty other things. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> that you know, he, he's man. He he's had to jump through hoops to get into Canada. It's funny. That's the hardest place to get into. Yeah, it's insane uh, in the world. Yeah, so. Um, well, I just wanted to yeah. bring that up. If you don't remember much about it, it's cool. It was a big deal uh, for me because I was touring with this little band in Canada, and all of a sudden the manager's like, hey, you guys are going to play four shows with Pennywise, and we, like, freaked out. So it was great, man. No, that's awesome. I mean, a lot of times people co- uh, will come up and say, do you remember me? I went to your <laughs> show, honestly. Like, I went to your show, and, you know, blah, 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 and I'm really like, oh, yeah, you were the third guy back in the pit <laughs> standing there. But uh, I usually remember faces really good. So, uh, but I'm I'm horrible with names and yeah. and I got gaps in my memory, you know. So well, and, and like during Warp Tour a couple of times when I was with the Ataris and whatnot, like I, I know you and I had a couple words, but we never got super close or anything. So I, I don't take offense to any of it. So I just thank you so much for being on the show, though. 
Well, I just, you know, I'm just shocked at myself because you seem like a nice guy. I should have I hung out with you more. Well, maybe in the future we can hang out, man, grab a beer or something. Okay, <laughs> right. Well, not, I haven't been drinking for a year and a half, but we can. Uh, well, you know what? I just said that to be polite because I don't really drink much either. Maybe we can oh, get like a, a soda right. or something. <laughs> That's the thing to say. Right. We'll get sodas. Okay. Sounds we'll get good. sodas and hang out, man. <laughs> <laughs> so what I want you to do, I want you to take me back to, you know, the first time that you felt like music was something that spoke to you. I'm talking like it could be junior high, elementary school, whatever. What was the first like memory where you're like, wow, I really like music? Mm, that's cool. That's a good question. Uh, it's, I mean, obviously it is the, it is the dry, it's been the driving force in my life for, you know, a lot of, a lot of times it's been like, you know, I don't know, the wind in my sails. Right. So I could go back. If you want to, if you want to go all the way back, I, I've, um, let's go I'll, all the I'll way back. It, well, uh, I'll take it to the part that's relevant, but, but I will go all the way back for a minute. Uh, my mom, uh, I apparently played, uh, classical music for me when I was a baby in the crib. Wow. And it's weird. You talk about, I talk about like having a Swiss cheese memory. I remember that. I remember being in the crib and, and hearing music and, I, I just think it, it completely kind of rewired my or wired my brain to to love like music and and uh, harmony and stuff like that. And uh, I remember and then, you know, as as time went on, I, I mean, I always loved to listen to music. I can remember growing up in the in the late 60s and early 70s and hearing all the, the music that, you know, would be playing in the car and the AM radio. Um, I remember getting an AM radio when I was, uh, I don't know, maybe five, six years old. And, and I would, uh, listen to it before I went to, to bed at night. I remember even summer, you know, all, I mean, I played a lot, but I remember sometimes I'd just go sit in my room and listen to music, even though everyone's out doing their thing. So I really loved it. But, um, you know, and then I got, as time went on, you know, I was a little, uh, surfer kid, I guess, and had a uh, brush in my back pocket and, and kind of long hair, uh, in the late seventies. And, you know, I was into, to, uh, Zeppelin and Ted Nugent and, uh, Black Sabbath and, um, you know, stuff like that because I, but, uh, and then I'd heard about punk rock a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, you just hear a little bit of things and then you're like, Oh, that's stupid. You know, I wouldn't be into that, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then bands like The Knack and uh, The Police and The Pretenders and stuff like that broke, like, right around when I was in ninth grade, I think. And they seemed really good. And I remember drawing checkers on my van- on my topsiders. Or, <laughs> I didn't have vans, you know. Yeah, so that yeah. was something. But that, I don't even know that, that – I don't even know what that was. But I, I know I liked that. But still, for some reason, decided I didn't like punk rock. Yeah. So we were kind of uh, not, I wasn't going to get into it. And then, and uh, um, there was, so then right around that time, I got into 10th grade and there was like, I don't know, there's a handful of punkers and it was starting, it wasn't very much. It was like, I'm a handful, I mean like four or five. And they were like freaks, you know, that their, their social time in high school was just, was destroyed by that. Right. And so you'd look at them and you'd go like, but you know, like, wow, you know, what's, what's that all about? You knew it was a thing though. So I remember going to, so this, this is the part where like music really actually changed my whole life. Okay. Uh, I remember going to, we went to, uh, it was in November of 1979. Yeah, it was 1979 because I was in 10th grade and I went to the, uh, swap meet with my buddy. 
Um, and we found bootlegs. You used to have bootlegs all the time. And, and, uh, I had like, I liked Elvis Costello then. So I found an Elvis Costello bootleg I wanted to get. And, uh, my friend, and then we were looking around and my friend picked out a Devo one. He was kind of, he was funny guy, man. He was, he was like, he'd make everything funny. And we're like, Devo, let's, let's take this back and listen to it and make fun of it and laugh. And, you know, it'll be fun. It'll be funny. It was, and dude, I swear to God, we put on a Devo record and I, and I was like, wait a what is this this is wait a minute this is awesome and and pretty much fell in love uh like within 30 seconds and and i it was weird i go i'm i'm punk rock i'm gonna just be punk rock <laughs> so you guys you guys were gonna like goof on it and it ended up being really awesome right yes that's, yeah that's and from, great yeah and that was it and from that moment forward i did what you do and uh what you were doing with the t-shirts and trying to research and find more bands and i would just scour i would go to uh to record stores and and look for all every band i mean i would just, just find imports uh from everywhere like you know generation x the buzzcocks um uh i mean you name it go on and on and on all those bands and uh i get i just stopped I didn't want to surf anymore. I didn't want to, uh, um, you know, I didn't want to listen to, you know, any like, uh, rock music, even though I couldn't give up Sabbath. So I was, yeah. I kept them secret, uh, secret, uh, guilty pleasure, but, um, yeah. And I, I wasn't ready to cut my hair right away because I still, you know, like, I think it was like six 15 and I wanted to, I didn't know how I would ever get chicks if I cut my hair off and become a <laughs> punk rocker. Yeah. So uh, that took a few more months, but eventually just threw, you know, decided to throw my social life away too, which is funny because it ended up that all the guys and a handful of our friends, you know, uh, all decided to do that. And we got shit just like you hear, you know, the stories. And, uh, but then, but we, then we had our own scene, our own crew and our own like thing that we were part of. And it really felt amazing to just, you know, it was just perfect timing to be that age and to have all that incredible music, incredible music. Cause a lot of those English bands, especially they were, they were, uh, top notch, uh, they had top notch production, top notch songwriting. It was really, um, good kind of like pop crafted songs actually. Uh, you know, even though that's at the time it, it seems so different and out yeah. there yeah so that was it and and i was just hooked and then and it got so into it and then, were you, you playing know, were you playing guitar or bass or anything yet or is that later on no i had we had acoustic i had an uncle well he was actually my cousin but he was really close for uh with my my father and his cousin his first cousin and they even lived together grew up together as kids and so he was uncle denny right and this guy was or just a rad dude. He, he, uh, lived in Europe, uh, um, during this, this late sixties. And, and he told me every, you know, he knew musicians, he hung out with the animals and, and was like, um, he just had all, all these different, uh, you know, Denny Lane from, from wings and, and, um, all, all these guys that he knew. And, uh, and he said he would take acid every day, <laughs> you know, back then and he was just a rad dude. And so he had guitars at our house and uh, I would listen to him play, and I would try to play him. And I even had uh, him try to show me how to play, or a neighbor, or something like that. But I couldn't do it; it hurt my hurt my fingers. So I I was like, I'm never going to play guitar. Um, until yeah, later, shortly after all this punk rock, when our my you know my best friends, who I ended up being in the Falling Idols with, 
but they started they had a band a backyard party band called red alert and the guy the guitar player trey um was he was he was really he's really soft-spoken like he didn't brag but he was super talented and you never knew it because he would just he he was the best musician he was like the funniest dude but if you didn't pay attention to him you you he wouldn't he wasn't going to stand in the middle of the room and and tell you about it yeah so uh but he was the one that showed me like a two finger guitar chord oh like and, a like a power chord kind of thing yes okay yeah two finger power chord and i was like and this was at that point i think it was like in, it, i think that was we were in 11th grade then so it was almost a year later but things went pretty quick it, i don't even think it was a whole year and i go what that's it that's the magic i mean to me yeah. it was like it was just it was unfathomable music was just seemed like daunting and magic you know it was yeah. like I, I might as well learn how to speak uh cantonese you know so uh yeah so that was it i'm like that's that's it just those two fingers so i went home that night and i don't think i came out of my room for two years i just played guitar <laughs> That's awesome, you man. Know, I, I mean, exaggerating. Yeah, so that was it. I played, and I wanted to, and I wanted to be in a band so I could go play. I just played backyard parties or something. And then I was like, I always loved bass for some reason. Like when I'd listen to Sabbath, I would turn the treble all the way on my on my on my tuner. I would turn the treble all the way down and the bass all the way up. And I, for some reason, I was just into that. Well, I mean, so, Geezer, Geezer Butler is pretty insane on the bass as well on oh. those records. <laughs> so amazing yeah. so just just amazing so uh yeah i was into that and i thought and that all made sense i loved bass and then i thought also that i couldn't uh, for some reason my standards for how good you have to be on as a guitar player to be in a band seemed really high so i was like i just get a bass and then i could get in a band so i went and put a down payment on on a bass guitar at whitaker music i had to take the bus i think to get up there i don't know what i did rode my bike five miles i don't know what the hell <laughs> but uh yeah and i would go back every week and i don't you know put down money and then i got a bass and then i just kept practicing and i started getting in bands and boom one after the other i you know played along with records uh that i liked and i really you know when i get into something i really really do it i i want to be good at it. i'm a perfectionist so yeah. not that i'm the best bass player anymore but at that time it was it was a, it was like i was a big fish in a little pond you know there wasn't that many guys playing bass in bands back in party bands and i happened to like kind of rise to the to the the heap you know so you you had mentioned before i mean i know you joined officially in 96 uh joined pennywise but you mentioned before like when we were off the record we were chatting a little bit that the first record you played on was unknown road how did that come about were you friendly with the guys already okay so that was okay so this band that i mentioned falling idols yeah was uh, a band that uh, in high school or just out of high school was Dave Quackenbush was the singer wow. and he's the sing yeah so he's the singer of the Vandal so it was it was me Dave Quackenbush my friend Trey who was in other bands with like the guys from Sublime uh, it called Short Bus and he was in Dub All Stars for a minute and awesome. things like that and then our friend Mud who's just the rad dude living Belmont Shore he's in all so these were like these were my bros so I stayed friends with them forever and. Uh, so, uh, okay. Then, uh, and I had, and like I said, I kind of rose to the top of the heap, uh, in our little scene and I just kept playing and I kept playing and I would get other offers to be in different bands. And I started playing, I started getting a little bit of a name or a reputation in Long Beach 
And then I got a chance to play with Jack Grisham from TSOL in a band that he had going after TSOL called Tender Fury. Okay. So, so I was playing with him and this guy, Christian would always come to shows and just pretty much destroy. I mean, he was just rad as dude would talk to me and he was super cool, but he was a gnarly dude. He would like destroy, uh, he'd get in the pit, like, <laughs> and be all bloody and stuff like that and it turned out that that was actually fletcher's brother okay okay so the, i knew christian and uh he would even tell me you should go see my my brother's band this is back in the early early days before they did anything and i was like man if it, I, I would think in my head i'm like it can't be good because <laughs> yeah. you, you you're too gnarly you know it can't be anything i'd be into right uh but um so I didn't go, but anyway, so I kept in, you know, I was in, I was friends with Christian, uh, and we kept in touch. And when, Fle when Pennywise had put out their first e their first record, uh, the one on theologian they, or no, the one after that, the one on Epitaph. Okay. Okay. Then they were going to go to Europe or my, it was around that time. It was right before, I think it was after they had already put it out. They were going to go to Europe and. Jim wasn't going to go, so they wanted to get a hold of Dave. So Christian called me to get to arrange Dave to be to go to Europe with Pennywise. Uh, so oh, I to went, sing to sing in place of Jim. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I went. Uh, so I went with Dave to go meet Fletcher, and that's how I first meet, met Fletcher. And so Dave went to Europe uh, with Pennywise, and then came back from tour. And then, um, he was going to go back to the Vandals and then, uh, Jason actually came to me, uh, at a Vandal show at the whiskey, uh, in 1991, I think it was, um, or 92, maybe, I don't know, uh, and asked me if I wanted to play bass in Pennywise and he was going to sing. So we did that. For almost a year, we played probably a handful of shows, like seven or eight, nine shows in California. Uh, we would play the, their first record from start to finish on our, on our sets. And I loved them. I, I had, um, when I finally did hear the band, going back a little bit, when I finally did hear the band, uh, I, I put on the CD and it was like, it was almost that same feeling as when I heard uh, Devo for, for the first time. I really, really liked it because that's awesome. Bad yeah, Bad Religion was my favorite band at the time, and I, I mean, you know, Suffer, No Control, Against the Grain, and um, so I loved that Pennywise record, and uh, when I got the chance to, you know, go play with them, I was like, all in. So at that, at, during that time, we, uh, we were working on Songs for Unknown Road. Okay. And yeah, and so then uh, we went into the studio to go record Unknown Road, and we recorded it at West Beach. And I played bass on it. And then when it came time for Jason to sing, he was good. Jason was great, um, uh, great at, at creating melodies. He sang well, but it just didn't sound the same. Yeah, you know. So then they they Jim came back and sang on that record, and then I went back to doing what I was doing, and uh, we kept in touch. And then yeah, it was actually not ninety six, but in ninety five they were on tour in October. It was actually October twenty third of nineteen ninety five. I got a phone call. And uh, saying that, hey, we, we need you to fly out on tour, blah, blah, blah. Jason's going to go back and take some time off and, uh, and get his act together, which unfortunately, you know how that ended up. 
Yeah. But yeah, so so that's how that all came together. So when they they formally ask you to join, I mean, you you were actually playing what I read on the internet, and I know some of this might not be true, but yeah, like Jason wanted to go to rehab to get his alcoholism under control, and you were going to play bass, and then when he came back, you were going to be rhythm guitar. Is that true? Yeah, there was there. You know, they look. These guys are they love Jason. They grew. You know, I mean, and he was so he was such a huge part of the band. I mean, when you listen to that first record, his, he has such a unique style. I think it was the, it was the thing that his songwriting, you know, and the way he would, would phrase words. And he, he was just so, he, he was really, you know, uh, the heart of the band. So they, they never wanted to get rid of him ever. But at the same time, I had been involved a bunch now and, and seemed to fit. And so, yeah, that was basically what they, they didn't say that to me. We didn't really talk about it. I was just there playing and they were like, well, we got to see what happens with Jason and stuff like that. So that, that idea of me being switched to rhythm guitar was something that they had probably, you know, spoke about, you know, amongst themselves, you know? So, um, there was not really a plan in place. We were just kind of going, you know, taking one, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. So, but yeah, but they, after, since then they, you know, yeah. Fletcher's told me that that was the plan. So when, when Jason, uh, passed away and you, you know, found out you're going to be in the band full time, I know it was very sad. I mean, me personally, you know, as a senior in high school, junior in high school, I, I bought the tribute shirt with the bro him lyrics on the back and had Jason on the front. Like, I just, I mean, as a kid that had no tie to anything other than liking punk rock, it was, it was a very, very sad time. I know me and all my friends were just kind of, you guys were our favorite band. I mean, we skateboarded, you guys were the thing. So taking over the reins, I mean, it, there's been a lot of times in music history where this has happened, you know, like Cliff from Metallica passed away and Jason got the job. How did it feel? Was it, was it a big responsibility? Did you kind of feel strange about it? Like, but you knew the guys so well, was it an easy transition? Um, uh, here's the thing like when something like that happens and like it just recently steve soto died you know yeah and, uh, and i was talking to brad who who finished their tour with him and it's like you you want to quit there's something in you that says we we, we don't want to do do this anymore this is you need to to be done you need to be finished but also that doesn't that doesn't seem right either it seems right that you you need to keep going on you know and and by going on you you keep everything kind of alive you know and you keep everyone's memory alive and and um so with jason i i never felt like i was taking his i never felt like i was taking his place uh and and it might not to sound corny or cliche or anything but his his spirit of the of everything in his uh involvement and importance and it's just it just permeates everything in the band you know uh so i've always kind of felt like a fifth member you know i've never tried to do uh i've tried to honor him you know and uh and i i you know so it, it is it is kind of when you think about the situation, it is an awkward situation, but I, I never really got 
too caught up in that because um, I just feel like, you know, he's still, his presence, he's still with us and we're still honoring his memory. So I, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to try to explain. Oh, I, I understand, man. Was there yeah. any kind of backlash from fans? Cause I know anytime something like that happens, sometimes some of the more, you know, overzealous fans can be kind of pricks. <laughs> yeah. I never, well, the internet wasn't going back then. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what, uh, what, you know, people said, but you know, the transit, see, it was kind of weird because I, I was, I was kind of like, in and out and I was kind of there in the band while all this stuff was taking place. It wasn't like, it wasn't like I was a replacement. It was like, I was already there and we were playing together at the same time anyway. So I never got any, any, uh, no one's ever said anything to me negative, uh, ab- about, you know, being there. I mean, uh, and also, you know, we made we made some some of the the most popular records together. We oh, did, yeah. you know, Unknown Road together, and then um, and then and then after you know Jason died, then we released Full Circle, which kind of was pretty strong. For me, also, I when before okay, right around the About Time record, um, I had been talking to Jason. I've been talking to Fletcher, and Jason was. Uh, he wanted to get together and play and like, you know, kind of have me help him out a little bit and give him some pointers on stuff. I don't know. Uh, we, we got together about four or five times and we might've gone over, uh, uh, the songs that they were doing and also just maybe some techniques to, to, for him to help him learn the, the stuff that I played on unknown road. Yeah. And, um, so I, I tried to help Jason. Like I loved the band and I would have been super happy to have been in at any point in time, but I, I think I have this feeling in life that things happen the way they're supposed to. And I don't like, I don't ever want anything that I feel I don't deserve. I can, I will, I'm really good at, at, uh, uh, kind of like uh, self being self-destructive if I, if I want to. So I know that like nothing is that important to be, to not, to not do things the right way. Right. Yeah. So so when, when I was working with Jason, I was showing him, uh, you know, parts that, that we played and I really, really wanted him. I, I, I was like, you know, um, there's a part on, uh, homesick. So there's a part in the middle in the breakdown where I do a pretty fast lick. It's, uh, it's like, we did it, didn't, 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 something like that. Right. And Jason was having a hard time with that. And also, um, time to burn. He was kind of having a hard time with that. So I was working with him and I really, really tried to get it so we could get him to get those parts and then go into practice and show everyone, Hey, I got this because he was a great guy, man. I, I, I really, he was a really, really likable guy. And, uh, I would be, I was happy just to, to try to help him, but I did tell him also, Around that time, too, I was like, man, you got to get this stuff because if you don't and there's problems in the band and if they do end up asking me to be in the band, I'm, you know, I'm going to say yes. So, you know, so, uh, yeah, you know, so, so obviously it's just an incredible bummer just the way it turned out because he was such a, a great guy. But 
it's just kind of, I don't know, everything just played out the way it did, you know? And, uh, so yeah. So, so, and then, you know, and then here we are, but, but it's still a uh, tragedy because he, he was so, he, he, like I said before, like, like he wrote those, he had a unique way of writing songs that made us, a, made the band the same, but different, you know, it was that thing that just, it was that creative, uh, really unique, unique, uh, part about, about the band. I think that he, he was really that creative. He had a gift, you know? Yeah, definitely, man. So I want to go ahead a little bit here. Uh, straight ahead came out in 99 and the one thing that was weird for me, you know, and my friends, because we were these little punk rock shitheads, uh, in 1999, when Straight Ahead came out, Alien started getting quite a lot of radio play, and the video was on MTV. We actually went and saw you guys at our local, like, big festival called X-Fest. It's a, it's a radio festival in Indianapolis. And we saw you guys, and then we left, because we were, you know, trying to be loyal to Pennywise. But uh, how was that for you guys? It was a little bit different than before. It seemed like the mainstream was starting to take notice a little bit more was that kind of strange for you guys well yeah it was um okay so straight ahead was an interesting record because in my view it's got some really i i think it would be a an incredible record if it had maybe like five less songs on it now i couldn't i couldn't tell you which ones i mean but there's just a way to trim the fat on that but uh but when we but there was a what we were also trying to do is uh be more inclusive with with uh um, everyone's song. So it was really hard to pick cause they're all good, yeah. you know, but, uh, or in our opinion, they're all good, but it's hard to, but everyone, you know, wanted to have more input. Right. So, uh, so that album, you know, when you bring that up, it was, it's, it's kind of, you know, long and kind of like there's uh different type of stuff on there, but what that did do, because there was so much different material, uh, was opened up the door for a song like alien. So when we heard alien, that was a song that Jim had written and he had a, he had done a little demo of it at his house. When we heard it, we just, we thought, and up to that point, we didn't, hadn't done anything like that. We thought, wow, this really isn't a Pennywise style song, but this is a really good song. Like we, we all recognized and like really liked it a lot. And we just thought, well, it doesn't matter if it's a Pennywise style. It has to, it has to go on the record. So that's because we just liked it that much. So that's, that's what happened. So, they, so we got it on the record and then uh, I don't know how the radio stuff came into play, but I think, you know, maybe someone at Epitaph had recognized that it had potential to be on the radio and then they, they kind of pushed it that way. And then it got, people wanted to play it. K rock wanted to play it. And so then, then we did do those, those radio shows. Were those radio and, shows really weird next to the shows well, you guys were used were, to playing? Yeah, they were weird. They were weird, but here's my take on all this, this stuff. Uh, like, uh, you could call it quote unquote selling out, or you can, you know, you could call it whatever you want, like kind of stepping out of your, your box. Right? Yeah, yeah. Nobody ever got in a band and got a gig so that they could limit the amount of people that come to the show, right? Totally. You go, you agree to go play a show. You say, no, no, I don't want 300 people there. I only want 175 and that's it. You know, close the door. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of silly. I kind of feel like, you know, there was a time back in the early 80s when punk rock first started, there were bands that changed their style in order to try to get on the radio and try to get success. But come 1999, 
you didn't really have to try to change your style. You didn't have to do anything because punk rock's on the radio. So the the whole term of selling out doesn't make it didn't make any sense because no one you didn't have to try to do anything different. You could just be who you are. You could be Pennywise with Fletcher throwing up on Dr. Drew and still get played on the radio. <laughs> I forgot all about that, man. I'm, right. I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> so I've never felt bad about the only thing I've ever felt bad about is doing things that aren't don't ring true, you yeah. know, in your heart or whatever. Um, so if it rings true and people are liking it and you have opportunities to go do more stuff, then I say, go for it. I mean, look, I coming up, uh, when I was playing in bands and I would get a chance to play with someone who I, uh, had respect for like Jack Grisham and I was playing in tender fury. He already did the punk rock thing in TSOL. He wanted to do something different. Now me, I love TSOL. I wanted to do TSOL, but he wanted to do tender fury and it was a little more rock. So I did that because. I wanted, I enjoyed playing with Jack, but we played in these fucking, uh, Hollywood, uh, clubs like coconut teaser. Like back then do they had, they had, uh, they had coconut teaser, English acid exposure 54. Uh, they had so many different clubs that you would go and they'd have a backline. You play for 15 minutes and you bail. So I would half those clubs. There's every single rock band, every single hair metal band, everything at that time. Cause it was the, uh, early eighties, uh, before it was, uh, not early eighties, late eighties, early nineties, pre Nirvana. Uh, there was, there was a lot of that. And, and so we would go play in front of a crowd, like 11 dudes that all had, had their arms folded, like just shaking their head going like, I could do that. You know, like dude, I've played in front of the worst crowds ever and and the best even before the band like but the band my our band the falling idols like that was a party band like people loved us and, and it was so much fun we, and these were all our friends you know so i've had the at that i've had the best and the worst yeah so when we i don't say no when in you know what in the in the 80s i was homeless for a minute i was homeless because i didn't want to do anything and i was a total uh fuck up and i was you know doing things I shouldn't do. And I was lazy. So when I got my shit together and I got back, you know, living life, right. Yeah. Doing things. I don't say no. So if there's a, if there's a radio gig, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's weird. It doesn't, but I'm not going to say no, I'm going to just go do it because you got to do the work. You got to man up and do the work. So if so the people that have a problem with that, I'm just like, well, good. Have a, In my opinion, like I know not everyone feels like this, but to me, I'm like, good, have a problem and then and, and see you later. I feel like you guys putting a song like Alien on that record and then you guys doing some of that stuff like playing radio festivals. That's punk rock to me. You guys aren't just being what everybody else is being. You're trying new things. You're being punk rock in doing that. That's my opinion. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say uh, I'll say your, your, uh, your, uh, what you're saying about that. I agree with a hundred percent like doing, I I'm not saying necessarily, I'm not taking credit for us being punk rock doing that. I don't, I don't even know what we were doing. Uh, really. I mean, it just, I, I guess so. I guess what you're saying, cause, cause when you feel like you like something that you have a decision to make and you want to do something and you sit in your head and you go, 
I'm going to make the decision that I think will make people happy, even though my heart's telling me to do something else. That's not punk rock. Yeah. That's conforming, you know, and that is what, that is everything that punk rock was ever against. Like, you know, me, me going like, well, Hey, I guess I'm going to cut my hair off and girls are never going to like me back in, uh, you know, in between 10th and 11th grade, that was punk rock, you know, because I was being real to myself. So, um, yeah. And I, and I, and I live by that. And I try to explain that to people. Uh, a lot of people are confused and they think punk rock is a thing. It's a uniform. It's a certain way of thinking. It's a conformity. It's a political ideal. Uh, people are, are, in my opinion, very confused about what's, what's punk rock nowadays. But uh, yeah, so I'll take that. We, we, you know, I'll take what you're saying. Yeah. We were just like, Hey, we're going to go do this. And I know personally, like uh, I don't, I don't put a lot of stake into what people think about something that I do if I'm very, very confident that that's the thing I want to do, you know? And I think that's the best way to be, especially in a band where you have all these people that are, you know, into your band. Do what makes you happy. I mean, if you try to conform to make the fans happy, that's that's the first step in, in losing all of your fans, I think. Oh, dude, you, yeah, exactly, because it's a fine line. They become, If they can sense your wishy-washy, like, what makes one band more popular than the other? It's weird. It's really weird. There's very, very subtle things happening when because you can't explain it, right? So if they if they get a whiff of you being wishy-washy or or not being true, because that's what art is, right? So music is art. It's just an expression. You you got to be true to to expressing yourself, and you do it uniquely, and you do, in the way you do it, that's what people like. So if you if you lose that and you start aping yourself, um, which I see, you know, and this is something I have a problem with too. Like it's very, it's a fine line because you, on one hand, like for me, let's use TSOL as an example. I loved TSOL, TSOL's first couple albums. And then they started, you know, following their art, you know, their, (laughs) their art and their expression. And they started changing a bit. And then I didn't really like it much, like it as much. Yeah. Uh, so, um, some, so there's something to be said as your fans, when they start buying your music and liking you, you all kind of enter into like an unspoken contract kind of like, because you're making them happy and you kind of, uh, they're expressing their individuality be, uh, through you. Like if you go get a Pennywise tattoo, you don't want Pennywise to put out a, you know, a, a reggae album, right? Because, <laughs> Now that's not so, so it's really hard for us. Like we have to, you know, so I know people say like, you put out the same album over and over, uh, which would, would, would stand in contrast to what I'm saying about, Hey, you have to do, you have to express yourself artistically and blah, blah, blah. So what we try to do is there are certain boundaries, just sorry, there's boundaries with everything. There's, you know, you, you drive down the street, you got to stop at red lights. Right. So we don't, we want to consider what, what people who love Pennywise want to hear. Yeah, I get that. And within that, we want to stretch the boundaries a little bit to try to make ourselves happy again. Cause we can't write, you know, unknown road over and over again. So, uh, well, you know, and really be happy. So we find little things that we could do in there to keep ourselves, uh, feeling fresh about it, you know, and then still keeping it. So people are getting what they expect. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know where I was going. <laughs> well, I wanted I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, you know I, I'm a father and the the other F word 
that documentary that kind of, you know, rotated around Jim and when he was leaving the band and, and stuff like that. Um, he left in 2010. You guys got Zoli from Ignite to take over. And then you recorded All or Nothing. Now, I, I own that record. I like that record. But it, I feel like you guys don't really talk about it much. It is, is now that Jim's back in the band, is that just something that you guys kind of just, you know, swept under the rug? Or is that still something you guys really enjoy? It's a really, you know, see, there, there. I mean, this band uh, is full of. It's never a dull moment, you know. It's like as the wise turns, right? Yeah. Uh, so, um, look, Jim. This is Jim is the singer of Pennywise. I mean, he is the he's the he's the guy. And the 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 when people first heard the first Pennywise record, it's Jim's voice. It's Jim singing. He's a, he's a great lyricist. He's great got a great voice. Great great melodies. I mean, he's he's the guy. So as you know, but you know. As things move ahead and time goes on, you know, th- different things happen in people's lives, you know, and, and sometimes you got to take a, a different turn and you got to try new things. So everything kind of, and, and we're like, we're together so much, like we're like brothers that, you know, that fight all the time, but then, and then sometimes, and then get along all the time and then, or, you know, love each other, love, hate all this stuff, you know? Yeah. So as as things just naturally progressed, it just ended up that Jim wanted to take a different different route. We and then we weren't ready to be done. Like I said earlier, you know, it's just like if any if anyone has to leave for any reason, we weren't ready to be done, and we wanted to keep continue on. Um, I'll say about that record, all or nothing. I think you know if it was by if it was called a different band name. Uh, I don't think anyone would have anything bad to say about it because well, I, I draw the parallel with the descendants and all those, all, right. those all records are amazing, but because Milo's not singing on it, some people maybe don't dig it. So, I mean, I, I kind of feel that is the same thing with this record. It's an amazing record, but Jim's not on it. Thank you. Yeah. So there was reasons we, we had for continuing on as Pennywise. And, uh, I mean, Fletcher basically, I mean, he's been there since day one, you know, and he, you know, uh, he, so there was just, there was reasons why we felt like we wanted to continue on as Pennywise. And so I'm, I love the way that record turned out. I'm very happy with it. Um, and it was a fun, it, there was a lot of, fun. it was a t- hard period of time, but it was a lot of fun also. And, uh, so I'm proud of it, but. You know, when Jim, when Jim came back and we got everything back together, it just seems like this is, this is the path that we, you know, this, this last record we put out, that should have been the record we put out when we put out all or nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So I don't take anything away from all or nothing, but I just think it's something like the, we've always wanted the band to be the core of people that have made it what it, what it was what it was and what it, what it is. So it just, you know, if people like that record, that's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm proud of it. Um, and had a lot to do with, with, uh, the writing on it with Fletcher and, uh, I'm, I'm really proud of it, but I just feel that like, um, there's no reason to really, we don't, we don't need to go there. I mean, geez, if we, we got, we have like nine or 10 albums, Without that one, I was going to ask you how how it was, what's the process for like a set list because that's got to be just insane with that many records. Yeah, it's it's hard. You know, there's 
there's songs that you might you're gonna hear every time when you come see a Pennywise show, and there's there's ones that just seem to to go over well. They get the crowd going because we're creating we're trying to get there's you want to have an atmosphere in the at the show you want to have an atmosphere in the club you want to have everyone be buzzing and have it like be happening you know so there's there's songs that that do that that we found over the years that that we love playing and so we have our favorites we have ones that are that that we perform better than others and and we have the ones that that the crowd likes more than others so we just try to you know there's probably uh, if I say 50 songs that we choose from, it might be be too much. But I would say over the years, it's probably like a probably a, a collection of like 50 songs that that we will choose from. You know, some of them are just are deep cuts and they're just going to be deep cuts, you know. <laughs> yeah, definitely, man. So, uh, you know, Jim's back. Everything's going well. You guys have put out a lot of records, you know. Never Gonna Die, the new record that came out this year. It was produced by Cameron Webb. You guys have used him quite a bit. I know he's a, a friend of the band. How was that experience recording with the new record with him? Yeah, Cameron's Cameron's great. So so I'll say I'll tie this in with what I said before. Like so to have Jim, you know, to have the band back together the way the way uh it had always been intended and to have Jim back like with this record uh of of our own uh, of newer material cuz we had already put the other one out that was like older older stuff yeah. you know um but this record uh, never going to die with all the newer material we really felt like we wanted to make that record that was supposed to be next in succession and and really um you know we were feeling good about having the band back together again so Cameron yeah we've done these uh uh done three albums with Cameron um or or actually two with Jim and he man Cameron's great Cameron is is he gets so much done while you you know like he he's a great producer great engineer he gets so much done uh you know gets work done when you don't even realize it like he's sitting there typing away or punching away and doing stuff and you don't realize what he's doing he's he's already working on mixing the album almost or or editing when we're um before you're even done you know so and he he creates a really good atmosphere where we all we all work we flow really good and we work easily and he's he's able to uh keep everything organized and he's he's really good and he's just he's got a great ear and he's got a really he's very capable and actually he's a he's just top notch when it comes to mixing and engineering so we're really always super stoked to work with him and we felt good about the material we got um you know i mean jim came back with a vengeance and wrote some great uh great uh lyrics and and melodies and and uh you know you get fletcher's guitar playing in there and it's just i mean if you're a Pennywise fan, then you uh, there. I don't see any reason to not like this album. So what's the uh, what's the hours like for recording? I know a lot of you guys have have families and and whatnot. Like you guys go in for two or three months straight, and you're there all day. Or do you guys work like a nine to five at the studio? Do you work at night? What was it like when you guys were doing the record? Yeah, we kind of nine to five it. Um, it works for Cameron also because he has a family, and you know you think about it. How long can you? It, it, there's only a certain amount of time that you're really uh, productive. Back in the day, uh, you know, uh, way back, uh, 
bands, you know, bands that I was in and even uh, with Pennywise, you would, you would go to rehearsal every day and you practice your songs and you get them down and you just, you just really beat them, uh, out to where they're, you know, you get rid of all the, the rough spots and then you go in and record as fast as you can in the studio. Cause it costs money. So you get, you get all your recording, everything done within like, you know, maybe one day, maybe four days, you know? Yeah. But now we have the ability. Cameron's got he's he's really flexible with working during the days, and plus, like you said, we have kids, so it just works for us to like get the we get the songs pretty much down in a rough sketch, and we use we use recordings a lot. So we go in and we'll record uh, during the day, and then we take it home, we listen to it, and that's how we figure out wh- what changes we, we want to make. And that's what's different than before. You would go into uh, to rehearse and you would play the song and then you'd sit there and I'll talk about it. Like, why don't we change this part? Why don't we change that? And so nowadays it's, we've kind of switched so we could take home a CD and then listen to it. And then the next time we get together, we have all the ideas that we want to try. So we don't have to spend as much time rehearsing. And then when we get in the studio, since we're doing days and, and, uh, we know we still have to hash things out. It takes a while. It takes about, I would say we're in the studio working, you know, doing uh, from drums to basic tracks to everything. It probably takes about a month of okay. doing nine to five, you know, but, um, you know, it keeps you productive because, you know, you're not there at two o'clock in the morning doing a, a crappy solo that you have to erase the next day or something. You <laughs> yeah. Know, so. Okay, so this uh, this podcast is called That One Time on Tour, so I, I do want to talk a little bit about touring. Um, I see that you guys are doing some South America dates at the end of the year. I love South America, Brazil, Argentina, the whole, the whole nine yards. Um, do you have a favorite country that you've toured in? And if so, do you have maybe like a little story you could tell about it? Uh, it's funny because when I looked at your um, – when I, when I looked and see what the podcast was about, I was like, oh, we're going to talk about tour stories, right? Well, we, we do, so, but I like to cover everything as well. <laughs> so I'll tell you. So then I wrote a list because when people ask me this question, yeah, I just go blank. Because <laughs> most, most every story that's worth telling about tour involves Fletcher. I mean, the dude is just. I, I want to hear some Fletcher stories really, really bad. <laughs> I know. The guy's a maniac. So, okay, let me read you this list of. Of uh, okay, well, first to answer your question, we, I, we really have a good time when we go to Australia. Okay, okay? so that's one of the funnest. Uh, that's one of our favorite countries to tour. But they're all they're all good. Europe, Europe is like is weird. You feel like you just got off like a ride at the fair all, the whole time. <laughs> I understand and, what you're saying. I don't know if anybody out there does, but I understand. <laughs> right, and then uh, and then South America is really cool because that just man the passion that goes on down there and the food and then it's dangerous you know kind of dangerous it's kind of sketchy when you're down there but that adds to it it always makes you feel really it's like like the old days you know right and then like i've been known to like you know partial story like to drink i dude when i okay so i haven't been drinking for like over a year now right just it's good to take a break and uh but i would like to drink a lot on tour i mean it really makes it easy (laughs) 
I mean, if everyone's going to be drinking, Fletcher's going to be drinking. It's just better. If you're going to hang out with him, you just, you, you might as well be drunk. It's like, it's like taking Novocaine for uh, de- going to see the dentist. Like it, it's not, it's really, it's kind of painful. I mean, it's funny as shit. And the, the stories he tells are great. And if you had a video of it, it'd be funny. But when you're there, like, you know, and, and uh, it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of painful. But, uh, so, but one of the things I like to do when I'm drinking on tours, go, walk it off at the end of the night so some of the some of the stuff funny funny stuff has been around me walking it off like even in palo uh wait uh uh what's it sao paulo sao paulo yeah yeah dude i mean that place is pretty sketchy that place is sketchy all over yeah (laughs) yeah so then me thinking that i'm just drunk and i'm gonna go walk around sao paulo uh, and not care. Cause I, when I get drunk, I think I'm tough and I grew up in long beach and <laughs> I know I'm not tough, but I really think, you know, but I'm not a little guy. I'm like, you know, six, one or two and kind of, you know, 200 pounds, you know? So I like, I guess I'm kind of, but I'm not really tough. I guess I could, but if I get drunk, I think I'm tough and I don't go get in fights and I, and I'm always trying to be respectful to people, but I, I get, have less fear. So I'll just go where I want. I do what I want. And so, yeah, uh, you know, walking around Sao Paulo drunk uh, and not realizing that Fletcher was uh, shadowing me the whole time <laughs> from a block back to make sure that that I was all right. And then, uh, uh, but uh, but let me read. Okay, so that's just a little thing. Uh, I don't actually know why I even said that, but <laughs> I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this little list of stories that I came up, and you can pick one. Oh, I want, okay, uh, I'll, I'll pick one. Yeah, that's a good idea. So tell me the, uh, the titles, I guess, and I'll pick one. Okay, so one is the Gooby Gone on Warped, uh, <laughs> and then the Fight with a Band on Warped, Norovirus in Europe, um, uh, where everyone got sick, Broken Base in Spain, Almost Bus Crash in Argentina, Bathroom Break in Argentina. We don't need to sell that one. <laughs> Uh, dancing on the bus to uh, that no effect song, Why Must We Stay? Uh, and uh, or shirts off paper towel dance on Dexter's bus in the U.S. First night back drinking in uh, the early 90s with, with Fletcher and with ending in a car crash. Wow, falling down on stage a warp tour and getting kicked by Fletcher. Last, uh, lost in New York. Out on the offspring tour, Canada border, New Orleans escaping the bus for a walk in the ghetto. Yeah, that was me wanting to go for a walk and surfing yesterday. So there you go. Okay, so here's the one that I'm going to choose, but we're definitely going to have you back for a part two because I need to hear the other ones. Uh, The one that I want to talk about because I think I remember part of this because I think I may have been on Warped when it happened. The fight, the Warped Tour fight. Okay. All right. All right. So that, I'll say first off, that I feel bad about it because we were in the wrong. Okay. Okay. But that said, I think that there, I don't know. I don't know. It's maybe I shouldn't say, but I think the reaction was kind of, their reaction was kind of crazy. But then again, maybe it wasn't. Now I'll think about it. Okay. So what happened that night? It was in, I think 2012, we were in Denver, uh, on warped and, and we, there's a rest. So that area there, there's like, Oh, bars across the street from the parking lot where where all the buses are and fletcher was in there like wasted out of his mind and uh and we were all partying everyone was partying but he was this was like 
he was on one and I guess he was in the bathroom. And one of the things about Fletcher's if you make it give a challenge to him, like he, he will accept any challenge almost because he wants to, to win. He likes to win everything. So something went on in the bathroom when I wasn't there about the, you know, the towel, you know, the towel dispenser on the wall. And yeah. I don't know if someone dared, if he could knock it off, but something happened and he started punch. he punched the towel dispenser. He just started thrashing stuff and everyone, everyone bailed. Right. So he's going, he's going nuts. And I, I kind of felt like the dog whisperer, you know, with Fletcher's uh, sometimes <laughs> like he'll listen to me and I'll, I'll hang out with him and I'll try to make everything. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I get him, I think I, I helped get him out of the, out of the bar because I think the manager, bar manager was freaking out. Fletcher might even, uh, you know, paid for the, the thing. Uh, he always, he always fixes the stuff he breaks or pays for it. He's good about that. So we're walking and we're trying to get back to the bus and, uh, uh, you know, but it's taking a long time and I'm trying to coax him, you know, but I'm super wasted also. And, uh, there was, uh, the Reverend, not the Reverend Horny, the Reverend, uh, God, who was the guy that was on the tour? They were, they were great. They were kind of like a, of the big damn uh, band or whatever. Yeah. It was kind of like a hillbilly band. The Reverend, I'll think, I'll think of it after, after the podcast is over. <laughs> right yeah <laughs> uh, pop in my head anyway so so we were he we were super stoked on them we were walking we were walking back through the parking lot and they had one of those camper kind of camper uh uh camper instead of a tour bus they had a camper and so we thought we found the reverend's camper and we had hung out with them a few times we were gonna we were knocking on the door we were gonna go in and say hi to them so it ends up it wasn't their camper it was this other band's camper i don't even know if i want to say the name oh come on man you gotta tell us who the band is <laughs> okay well it was alisana okay? oh okay okay yeah right and and uh and so and uh, you know and i had even talked to those guys earlier i was like you know i'll be i like to be cool with everyone i i don't i kind of uh, whatever happened that night well i'll tell you how, how it went so so we go on the bus on the van on the camper or whatever the hell it was and no one's on there. And we're like, oh, well, we'll just wait, wait for him to get back or something because we were drunk. Yeah. And I'm and I sit down. And I'm like, I don't think this is this isn't theirs. And he's like, oh, well, well, fuck it. I'm making a sandwich. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we're on there on their camper. It's out. Uh, and, and so we're not on the right camper on Osana. We didn't know that, though. So and Fletcher's making a sandwich in their camper. He's going through the he's rifling through the cupboards looking for the stuff, you know, bread and he's got bread in his hands, I think. He's looking for stuff. Yeah. And then some guy comes on, it might have been their manager, I don't know. But they had it they had a crew with them. They had, you know, they're not, you know, I guess they're like an emo band but or something, I don't know. I mean, I'm definitely not talking shit cuz I I fucking I, I, uh, you know, it was wrong. We were in the wrong. Yeah. But they had a little, they had a crew with them. And, uh, so uh, the next thing I know the guys on here saying, get the fuck off our, our trailer. And Fletcher's like, ah, I'm going to make a sandwich first. Right. <laughs> Cause he doesn't like being told what to do. And it starts turning into a thing. And, and I'm sitting there kind of laughing because when you hang out with Fletcher, 
it everything goes. He, he gets away with everything. He's a huge man. He's super. He's quick witted. He's he's really he's sharp. It's you like know? the Fletcher umbrella is above you. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. You feel a little bit like you know more invincible when you're hanging out with him. So the next thing is like, nah, I'm just gonna sit here and make a sandwich, and then I'll go when I want. And because the guy was kind of being, he was all bent out of shape that we were on 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 the the trip on the camper. Yeah. So, but you know. Rightly so. But also Fletcher deals with a lot of people where he's in the wrong place and people don't always act like that. They don't, they don't always get super bent out of shape. Yeah. So it was kind of like an overreaction we, we thought. And so I'm sitting there laughing about it. And then the next thing you know, uh, where I'm sitting, uh, there's, I'm surrounded by like five dudes and, uh, five, maybe even six. And, uh, Fletcher's over there with, the other guy and I could see out of the corner of my eye, something I never expected to happen. This guy starts attacking Fletcher. He just starts, starts trying to hit him. So Jeez. Fletcher's over there. And at the same, so then in, in my head, I'm like, Whoa, it doesn't go here. And I, dude, I play around, I mess around. I, I rarely get violent. Rarely. Uh, but, but only when it's like that situation where you're, it's like, you have no choice. It's on. It's just like, a, dude, a, a green light went on. I got attacked ahead of me in a head fold and a head hold. Um, uh, I mean a head, a uh, headlock. Yeah. And somehow I like yoga my way out of the headlock. And I just started swinging and I just started. And, and, and me and Fletcher were back to back. He's fighting. Like, I don't even know what's going on over there, who he's fighting, but I'm just tagging dudes like i didn't you know like it was slow motion i was like bah, 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 bah. just like sh- straight armed hitting guys because to keep them away from me mostly yeah and uh and then you know they didn't and they and they jumped on me you know and put me in a headlock you know like they pretty much i, I was in the wrong me and fletcher were completely in the wrong but they they attacked me you yeah, know and yeah. they attacked him so, which it was in, it's within their rights, but I just really felt the need to defend myself. So yeah, I just hit as many dudes as I could and Fletcher was fighting. And then it, and it felt like it, it was in slow motion. This was and, all uh, in the camper too, right? Yeah. In the camper. <laughs> and, uh, did it spill and, out of the camper at some point? Yeah. It, it kind of was guys were, uh, spilling into the camper. See, you know, cause it was like, there was seriously, I don't know. Anywhere from five to nine guys on there, and then me and Fletcher. And one funny thing was like, while we're doing this and everything's in slow motion, I'm back to back with Fletcher and we're fighting. And I just was laugh. I was laughing because I'm like, I can't. This is funny. Like me and Fletcher, are like you know, you know, like a fucking brawl right now, back to back fighting these guys. So, but you know what? And so then it just and then it calmed down. Then it stopped. And, uh, and then like the cops showed up and they tased Fletcher. They tased him for real. Yeah. They tased him. Jeez. They tased him that, that, you know, so I mean, I, I keep, you know, I mean, there's more to the story. I kind of feel bad though. Cause like I, like I said, I'll fucking say it again. It was, uh, it was our fault. We were in the wrong. They're yeah. nice guys. Um, uh, so I, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but this, it's just the thing that happened. So we had to fight them. And then Fletcher got tased by the cops and I got put in the back of a cop car for like 45 minutes. He got, Fletcher got taken to jail. I was yelling at Fletcher in the cop car. I'm like, get me out of here. And like something, Fletcher said something to the cops and they let me go. (laughs) He's like, Fletcher said. So then they let me go. And, 
And then so Fletcher goes to jail. I went back to the bus and I kept and they were like, if we see this guy again, then he's he's going to jail, too. So uh, my crew wouldn't let me leave. I wanted to go back and like, I got to save Fletcher. Just fucking out of my mind. Stupid. <laughs> and uh, and so then they're all they're all on. They're all uh, trying to hold me down. And I got four or five guys piled on me holding each limb, you know, like one guy's holding my my leg. One guy's holding my arm. And I'm just. I'm completely going retarded at that, uh, at that point. Yeah. And then, uh, and then ended up one of the guys taco. He, he did like a rugby tackle on me on my knee and just boom, my knee went. And, uh, so my knees, you know, was just screwed up for like five weeks after that. We had another gig the next day somewhere at a festival and Fletcher's in jail. We couldn't play that. So yeah, we ended up, you know, we we got our instant karma for for doing that, but uh, it was actually uh, it was actually a lot of fun. Did Kevin did Kevin reprimand you guys at all? Yeah, I think Kevin was really mad. I think it was the last tour, the last show on the tour, though. Okay, so that's why we were going to some other show. So it was, uh, I think it was a radio show. So that was the last show on the tour. And Kevin knows what he's getting into when he's dealing with Fletcher. But, you know, right. That's the thing. You can't, you know, you can't get in fights. Like, that's just yeah. a big no-no, right? So. Yeah. I just remember uh, one of the first Warp Tours that I was ever a part of. I think of wanting to say it's 99, 98, maybe. I'm not sure when it was. But it was uh, Dropkick Murphy's got in a fight with Lit. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know what happened or, or like if they were reprimanded, but it was like in the parking lot going back to the buses, like someone from Lit said something to someone in Dropkick or Dropkick said something to them and they ended up getting in a fight. And I don't know the logistics of it. And please, you know, listeners out there, I, I don't know any of anything about this. I was just on the tour at the time. So yeah, I, it just kind of reminds me of that. I think it's, I know Kevin doesn't want anybody to fight, but sometimes you get personalities, alcohol gets involved and it happens, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't want to fight the Dropkick crew. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you never know. And that's the thing about fighting is like you never know. Uh, it's like anyone could get dropped uh, with a good punch. Uh, you don't know what's going to happen. You, if you end up, you know, hitting the guy and they, you know, they could they could fall and hit their head. And that'd be the last time you ever see him. And then there you are spending the rest of your life in 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 jail or prison. And then or or you could get hit and get hurt. I mean, it's like really it's kind of like there's very few times where it's justified, you know, if it's just about ego, I know it's hard, man. I've had, I've walked away a lot, uh, you know, times cause I'm always thinking, you know, I always think like, what are the, con you know, my dad taught me to think ahead, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I played baseball when I was very young. I didn't get to keep playing, but one of the things about baseball is like, you always have to run scenarios in your head. You have to know that if the guy hits it over there and there's a guy, a man on base, then, and then you, what are you going to do with it if you get the ball? Or what if it's hit over here? You have to think about eight different scenarios. It's almost like chess. I, people, I don't think uh, – I mean, I'm not a big uh, sports fan or anything, but uh, I don't think baseball gets enough credit. you got to be kind of smart. You know, yeah. you got to think ahead. So those things stick with me, you know? And I always think when it, there's a scenario happening, it's like, man – uh, it, just to like maintain your level of cool or whatever, because some guy might have like you know done you know said the wrong thing or whatever. It's kind of a bad reason to fight, but guys do it all the time. And and but you know it's just 
it's it's not a good thing. Not a good but, thing uh, at all, man. Yeah. Well, hey, you're gonna totally have to, you know, at some point in the future, come back and tell some of those other stories, okay? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, man, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast today. The last thing I want to ask you, uh, I know I said you guys, I saw your dates in South America for the end of the year. What's next for Pennywise? What's on the agenda as far as 2019? Okay. Yeah. Well, we have, uh, we have a few shows. we got Vegas coming up next weekend. We got a show in Huntington beach coming up on October 27th called surf city blitz with, with, uh, suicidal tendencies, social distortion, rancid, us, uh, I think the offspring bunch of bands that's, that's rad. And then, like you said, South America, and then 2019, we just plan on, we're trying to put together a touring schedule now and we just want to keep touring and keep, keep playing. We got playing, uh, touring on, uh, never going to die. Uh, cause since we just put that out this, this year. So, uh, basically just tour and then, uh, you know, just keep doing it as long as, you know, as long as we can and keep getting, you know, people, people to show up and, and hopefully everyone's having a good time. And that's, that's the whole, that's it right there. All right, Chris. Great talking to you. Thanks a lot for asking me to do this. It was, uh, it was nice. Yep. So I'll have you back for a part two. Cause I got to hear some of those other stories. <laughs> All right, great. I'll talk to you later, man. Thanks a lot, Randy. Have a good one. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye. So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Randy Bradbury from Pennywise. I had a great time talking to Randy that uh, the stories that he has are really, really good. Uh, I wouldn't suggest anybody go walking around drunk by yourself in Sao Paulo, Brazil. But uh, it looks like Randy had the the Fletcher umbrella to protect him. So thanks a lot to Randy for coming on the show. I know we're going to have him back in the future for a part two. I said that all the time, but I'm definitely going to have Randy back because I want to hear about those other stories. So uh, yeah, I feel like shit and I'm going to go to sleep. So the one thing that I need to tell you guys is if you're in Muncie, Indiana and you need guitar strings or anything else musical, you need to go to Muncie Music Center. Uh, It is a really good store. I teach guitar, ukulele, mandolin, banjo, bass, and a lot of other stuff there. So if you need lessons, hit me up. If you need anything else, go to 600 South Mulberry Street and check them out in person. Or you can hit them up on the web at munciemusic.com. Okay, I'm super tired, so I'm going to get out of here. But... uh, I have a little bit of cool news. Uh, I listen to I listen to a lot of podcasts, and one of my favorite podcasts is a podcast called Speak and Destroy. It is a, a guy that I know from here in Indiana, but now he lives out in L.A. Ryan J. Downey hosts it, and it is about Metallica. It's a podcast all about Metallica. Well, uh, I'm going to be a guest on his podcast, and he is going to be a guest on my podcast. He used to be in a really cool band called Burn It Down, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, that's coming up this Sunday, so if you have any questions, that you want me to ask Ryan about his band or Metallica or anything else, let me know. But uh, I'm really excited for the crossover episode of Speak and Destroy and TOTOT. So thank you guys so much for all the support. I would like to wish my little baby daughter, Indy, Happy birthday. She turns one year old on Friday. So uh, all you guys out there in podcast land, you should leave me some comments and and tell Indy happy birthday. We're really, really excited uh, that she's going to be one year old and we're going to get the smash cake and she's going to get all crazy covered in cake and stuff. It's going to be great. So uh, that's it for me this week. I'm going to leave you with a couple Pennywise songs. First thing I'm going to leave you with is title track off their new record, Never Going to Die or Never Gonna Die. And uh, after that, if you don't know this song, 
I don't know what's wrong with you. I'm going to play Bro Him, but it's the tribute version that they did on Full Circle back in 1997. So uh, thank you guys very much. I appreciate all the support. I am very under the weather and I need to go to sleep. So I will see you next week uh, with my guest will be Mr. Pete Parada from The Offspring. So uh, if you guys want me to ask him any certain questions, you're out of luck because I've already done the interview. (laughs) But uh, please come back next week and check out Pete from The Offspring on that one time on tour. See you guys later. Shouting out a
friends, present, past, and beyond. To all those who weren't with us too long, that is the most precious thing you can do. While you were here, the fun was never ending. Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!